Welcome back, one week season fam, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. I am Hilo. I'll be joined here shortly by Rich Rebar. We do this every week at 12 p.m. Eastern. You know the drill by now. Drop a like, drop a subscribe. Let us know we're do how we're doing. Leave us a comment, and I am gonna try my best to read all those comments and bring those uh, those learning points. We'll say forward uh, into the future. We are leaving week six, where we saw Amon Ross St. Brown put up the highest scoring wide receiver score, followed shortly or closely, I guess, after by Cooper Cup, and there was a rather lacking of thirty plus fantasy point outputs from that slate. Why is that important? Well, we're moving into a week seven slate where we're kind of getting a similar setup here. We don't have a lot of spots where these 30 plus point fantasy point games can come from. So with that, this is searching for seal. One week season. The man, the myth, the gosh darn legend, Mr. Rich Rebar. How we doing this week, brother? Oh, great, man. You know, hey, we're moving closer to, you know, knocking on the door week seven already. You know, it's all, it's always pretty crazy. You know, we're the end of October. You know, I, my, my, my God, leaves man. are falling. I know you're in Arizona. Do you even have, yeah. you have like you my cactus needles are falling? Like, <laughs> yeah, leaves are falling, uh, you know, from the trees here. They're finally turning. You know, it used to be the leaves would like turn like at the start of October and stuff. And now, yeah because the planet is, is is slowly dying that uh it goes later and later my my mom lives in florida and she would, she came in and visited she's like oh i thought like i would come to see like you know some great like you know midwest like orange trees yeah. and yellow trees so she's like everything's still green i was like yeah that doesn't happen till like like late november now <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> that was uh yes and in Arizona, we set historical records for temperature on the 18th, two days ago, three days ago, maybe 17th. Um, it was 103 here <laughs> in the third week of October. It's a dry Come heat, on, though. man. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's a dry heat. We're totally used to it being 100 degrees, triple digits in October. This is fine. Uh, anyway, man. So that intro that we we touched on with we've hammered this kind of ad nauseum where it's this downscoring year. What does that mean for how we construct rosters? How we, where do we generate leverage looking forward to this week? It's a, we were talking about this before the show, how it's this slate that's kind of broken up nicely by the NFL. We have six early games. We have four late games. When you look at kind of the state of this slate, a lot of some interesting upside spots are housed in that late portion of the slate. So talk me through just real quickly before we start jumping in and searching for upside here. What are you like? How are you approaching this the slate? How it's set up where there's a lot of potential upside in the later portions. Yeah, it, it's tough. Like anytime you have a, a slate like this, because it's a lot of you know player player minutes remaining are going to be on the board. If you're up early, you're going to you know not be like kind of counting counting your ducats at that point. But I mean, I still you know anytime we have any individual slate, I mean, I still want to play what plays I think are the optimal plays, right? Uh, and then we yeah. worry about then we adjust in in during throughout Sunday. You know, what lineups do we need to adjust for late swapping? Where do we think the ownership's going to be later on? So. You know, we always talk about ownership on this show with it being Friday. We don't really know. We, hell, during this show last week, we got the news like Chuba Hubbard was yeah. going to be active. Like, yeah. and it, and it, so much stuff is going to get altered. We're waiting to kind of see in a couple news. Like, it, it looks like Roshan Johnson probably is trending towards not playing again. But if he were to get like opened up on the slate, he would free some things up because we don't have a lot of those 
cheaper pieces that kind of lock a lot of the the jam them in wide receivers we want to play we also have a really unique running backs maybe we're just going to say that a lot but we have a unique running back slate and because we don't we don't have a lot of workhorse backs on this slate period obviously christian mccaffrey even if you were to play is not on this slate uh we've got a bunch of teams on by so like paying up for running back is really an austin eckler and then a very nebulous situation so there's just a lot of different elements in play i think in this particular slate that make this unique and and hey Scoring may be down, but points are going to be scored, and it doesn't matter if 125 yes. points is the what leads, or if it's 225 points. We want to be uh, up in that up in the winner circle. Yeah, exactly. And along those same lines, chalk is always going to develop, and this has the feel of a slate where some of that chalk might come with questionable floor, questionable ceiling. So we'll kind of dissect a little bit of that uh, as we progress here. But let's take a look real quick at kind of this macro idea of this slate. We look at the game totals. We'll focus here because that's going to be the talk of this slate. You stop me when we start seeing something that we want to attack. We well, only uh, had one game open over 50 and it got bet immediately down into the 40s. Oh, immediately. Yeah. 37 and a half, 37, 37, 40 and a half, 43, 40, 44, 44 and a half, 45, 48. So that's what we're working with this week, y'all. But last night gave us hope. Like I said, you know, we had, yeah. <laughs> remember we opened the season with like a terrible scoring week and like efficiency was like all time low in week one. And then we bounced back and had a bunch of overs the following week when everyone was complaining about the NFL. Fingers crossed we get something similar. Yes. And that's also interesting because we kind of, in the macro, we we know that we have ebbs and flows in scoring. We know that it's this chess dance, this this beautiful, intricate dance that these offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators are going through. Um, so we see ebbs and flows. Typically, the cycle is about seven to ten years in scoring goes up, scoring goes down, and we have this kind of sinusoidal thing in scoring. Well, we also have that week to week, which is interesting that you mentioned that because weeks are not going to look the same and they could be the scoring could be very very different um once the you know once the all the games are said and done once the slate is complete then we thought going into it so to classify a slate as ugly or this looks bad or the chalk is bad that is kind of not the point the point is we need to consistently be hunting for upside because in GPP play, that is what we're going to need. Once the first kick happens, all the salary goes out the window, your leverage goes out the window, all that stuff goes out the window, minus late swap, which we've talked about before. But all that goes out the window. And once the kicks happen, once the games start, it is all about raw points. So where can we find these raw points? And that is the focus of what we're trying to do here today. So with that, and we'll, we'll start this discussion in the late portion of the games. We have Pittsburgh and the Rams. We have Arizona-Seattle. We have Green Bay and Denver. And we have uh, the game of the week, so to speak, in the Chargers and the Chiefs. Rich, I'll throw it over to you. Which one would you like to start with first? Well, let's start Chargers Chiefs because obviously that's going to be like the game from like a real like a a viewership perspective, and then yeah, this ties into kind of where we're going to start. Kind of like the you know the game theory stuff is because we've talked about this ad nauseum every time we talk about the Chiefs on this show. That obviously it's when you when you want to stack the Chiefs, you have to pay for the highest price player at two onesie positions. Uh, which always makes like building out a roster, you know, already kind of you're almost you're not behind the eight ball, but like you're chasing other spots. 
Uh, and then if you want to play the other core pieces in unison with your core Chiefs pieces, they are also some of the most expensive players on the slate. So from an onslaught perspective, you are not going to build a roster of Patrick Mahomes, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Travis Kelsey. Um, it's you're going to be you're going to take on so many punt options that you're pro- you're probably going to cut off your upside actually. Uh, yeah. So where do we find like the ancillary guys in this game? I think we're going to see Isaiah Pacheco be really popular and rostered in this game where he's priced on both sites. Uh, you know, over seventy percent of the backfield touches the last three weeks. You always get that scoring equity. The Chargers have not been as much of a sieve on the ground like they have been in the Brandon Staley era. They've been okay uh, against the run. And then I think we're going to see Josh Palmer kind of be the other guy that gets kind of rostered. We saw Quentin Johnston not really get out of the post by rookie bump. I do think that it had to do a lot with the matchup itself. They used Donald Parham as a blocker in that game against the Cowboys. They did not play a lot of 11 personnel because I think they were worried about the Dallas pass rush. Um, but that does that mean we're going to play Quentin Johnston though? Probably not. Uh, and then I think you'll see some Rasheed Rice, like ownership go there. So those are kind of like the three ancillary guys around the, the, the main four core. And then if you want to throw Justin Herbert in there, if you're doing charger stacks, I think he, you know, fits in there as well. So where do we build, how do we build onslaughts of this game? What do they look like and what side of it do we want to play? Yeah, exactly. And continuing that discussion, the pricing of the primary pieces in this game, we know Keenan Allen is priced up because he brings a heavy weekly floor. He has provided that ceiling and we have been on that ceiling this year when it has spiked, but he's really, you look at his historic, his history over the previous three seasons, he has a very low hit rate of providing 30 plus fantasy point games, especially now that his price is higher than it was the entirety of last season. We have Travis Kelsey, we have Patrick Mahomes, who are amongst always the highest priced players at their respective position. We have Austin Eckler, who's amongst the highest priced players at his position. So that discussion of how do you build leverage into this game that is clearly going to attract a lot of attention? Well, it could be that potentially because of Steve Spagnuolo, because the Chargers have shown some issues playing against zone defenses, it could be that this game kind of falls short. Um, and that's that's a valid outcome. I mean, so I got bet down. Yeah. The the <laughs> problem with the problem with some of these pieces is they are priced for previous production in spots that were much juicier uh or much had clear clearer paths to generating upside than we see right now. We also have a Kansas City Chiefs offense that has been rotating wide receivers through. Over the previous two games, it's been like the top wide receivers playing 60% of the offensive snaps, maybe lower than that in some instances. So they're very clearly trying to find their way. That I think the easiest way to, to relate that or to put that into football terms into something we've already seen is the New York Giants. It's not that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to end the season playing a rotation of seven wide receivers. It's probably that this is, hey, we've seen six weeks of the NFL season and they're still trying to figure out what is the optimal state of their offense. And then, oh, by the way, they bring in McCole Hardman to throw a further wrench into that. Um, but you look at the Giants, and I think this is a good discussion to have when we're talking about the Chiefs. The Giants started the season with a very similar chiefs in. Uh, wide receiver rotation where it was they were rotating five, six, seven guys through at times. Last week, though, we saw that condensed down to kind of what we think their end state is going to be, 
where Darren Waller is playing a full-time role at tight end. We had Darius Slayton in a borderline full-time role on the perimeter. We saw a career and season high snap rate for Jalen Hyatt. And then Wandale, kind of that slot standard for a slot wide receiver snap rate of 60 to 70%. And then it's Saquon Barkley, who is like the guy in the backfield. He's going to see one of the highest opportunity shares in the league. So while that is that discussion, I'm not saying that the we should expect the same thing to happen from the Chiefs within the next couple of weeks. I'm just saying that this is an example of one of those teams where we know teams are still trying to kind of figure out their way in the first third of the season. We know, I mean, we've seen Bill Belichick say in the past that like the NFL season doesn't start until November. That's while that seems foreign, that is kind of how these teams are approaching it because we have personnel changes. We have coaching changes. We have now an abridged preseason. We have an abridged camp. So all of those things are still in play right now. But how does that kind of pertain to the Kansas City Chiefs? I don't know, man. <laughs> like At some point, we might see this offense condense a little bit. They're not there yet. They're still trying to figure things out. We've seen games where Kadarius Toney was seeing that like schemed usage role. We've seen games where it was Jarek McKinnon. What are they doing? We don't really, we haven't seen the end state of this offense. So when you consider all that under the microscope of, hey, these guys are probably going to be rather highly owned, it becomes a little bit easier to try and look somewhere else for upside. Rich, what are your thoughts on that and kind of this idea of like the end state of the Chiefs offense? Yeah, and I, I think the, you know, the Richie James injury kind of threw a wrench in things too. I think they wanted something out of more in the return game. So maybe that's why, you know, Hardman was re-added. You know, we'll see what kind of, you know, place happens there. Justin Watson got injured last week. Uh, yeah. You know, and that, that opened the door up for Rasheed Rice a little bit. But even after Watson left the game, Rice only ran a drop back on 59% of the team dropbacks so like you know uh ran a route on 59 percent of team dropbacks so he's still not going to be a full-time player uh he's also like he has really wide splits versus zone and man coverage right now uh so he's still a player that's developing um so but he's a guy i think they're counting on for like when you talk about like like full field ability uh he's still a guy i think that offers the most upside we've seen that sky Moore hasn't earned targets at all throughout the you know the course of his early career and tony's still going to be a guy that when he's gets involved into a package like he gets a high rate of usage per snap but he doesn't play a lot of snaps. yeah yeah um, that, i think that's going to continue too as well because they want to try to preserve you know his his health so and, and mvs isn't going to go away because structurally he opens up what they want to do underneath you know everyone's frustrated yes. everyone gets frustrated with marcus valis scaling but like he was signed as a clear way to combat what the chiefs were seeing defensively over that yep. stretch where they were just seeing a lot of too high. He is like I said, he's there to run fast and straight downfield. That's like, it doesn't matter if Aaron's targets or not. That's his job is to uh, foundationally pull the defense away and open things up underneath for guys like Kelsey and then, then Jarek McKinnon when they got these guys involved. So like, he's not going to go away from a route running perspective. Uh, but probably the most interesting thing still is like the Pacheco stuff, right? Cause we've seen any time, that an Andy Reid running back has gotten like this type of usage. He's been really functional for mm -hmm. fantasy. He's been a fantasy asset. Now we're not working with like a player that has the uh, three down skill set of like a Brian Westbrook, a Kareem Hunt, or a Jamal Charles, right? But like it does say something that Pacheco, even in a game where he ran for fewer than four yards per carry, was able to salvage his game with six catches for 40 yards, right? Like that was something that didn't exist for him in his rookie season. 
and now he has more catches, targets, and receiving yards already through six weeks than he had in his higher rookie season. Uh, like I said, he's not a guy that's going to push for 100 catches, but the fact that he has a sprinkling of receiving work now does make him a little bit more of a viable floor where he would be like a guy where he became, if he's going to be chalky, you're like, no, man, if he doesn't get in the box, like it's dead. Like you're dead. If he doesn't score, uh, that's like no yeah. longer supremely the case anymore, uh, given where he's priced. Yeah. And the other side of that question, I mean, I started my prep and uh, my exploration of the slate and I was extremely high on Pacheco. He was in my first build of the week. My, my kind of, we call it a dummy build. Uh, mm-hmm. where you're seeing kind of how pieces fit together. Um, and then I looked at, I actually looked at ownership this morning uh, because I was curious with him in particular. And yeah, he's like one of the top two or three um, expected ownership at running back. Um, and my initial reaction was kind of this like, oh, a yardage and touchdown back who he may or may not see the pass game usage. Like, yeah, he has more catches this year than he had all of last season already. Um, and he saw the six targets last week, but this is still primarily a yardage and touchdown back. And if you're thinking about what is his path to three to 30 fantasy points, he's going to need 100 yards rushing. He's going to need multiple touchdowns or the pass game volume to offset the need for one of those touchdowns. And then I started thinking in this current state of the game that we are in in NFL DFS, where we know projections are so much more accurate and we know that median projections primarily are so much more accurate, that kind of plays this role in the most projectable position in being running back to where the natural tendency and my natural tendency this morning was to say like, where can I find the same upside um, at lower ownership? Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking like, we don't necessarily need to be thinking through that lens of this. um, How do we generate leverage at the running back position anymore? Because you know, I could talk for an hour about the theoretics behind that. I won't do that. If you're interested uh, to hear about those thoughts, um, what the theory says, uh, as far as game theory goes, head on over to oneweekseason.com, get signed up for Inner Circle. You'll find all my thoughts on a weekly basis from a game theory perspective there. Um, but this idea of like, hey, we might be approaching equilibrium as far as, far as projection systems are going at running back. We might not necessarily need to search for leverage potential at running back. That said, like we can't just look to ownership um, to to base our plays off of at the running back position. It just means that we might not have to be so scared of ownership at running back, particularly moving forward. So all that to say, like Pacheco is a strong on paper play this week. There is no reason for that ownership to necessarily scare us off that play. Um, And I think it would be even more interesting to kind of view Pacheco as how can I generate leverage, play him smartly to play him without any other members from this game might be one of the ways where we can access the upside in this game without kind of fighting the field's expected ownership. Uh, Any rebuttal or thoughts on that discussion? No, no, I think this is a game that you look for 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 minis or or, or ones, right? Like you that I think yeah. that's the way is the is the way to correctly play this and how you get there. Um no, I I love those thoughts about the because the projected ownership stuff, like you know, I get it all the time on in the Sunday chats too. And typically it doesn't it's it's not like a uh it shouldn't be a crux of your game unless it's a we've got wild ownership, right? Like ownership's been largely flat this year in general. And if players aren't going to be pushing that, you know, like upper, like mid thirties and stuff like that's when you can maybe start to like, let it impact you. Uh, yeah. 
But other like when we have a flat slate like this where everyone's kind of you know tracking for like that that twenty percent and down range, like there's there's it shouldn't be like a real part that like hinders you of like oh I, I need to come off of this like he's a little more popular than this guy because the levels of ownership aren't that high to begin with. Yeah, hundred percent. So all that discussion behind us now. We spent twenty solid minutes on the <laughs> the top game environment, the standard us. Right? We always do. Uh, <laughs> Let's go over to, we'll just go systematically through these late games because I think there's some interesting things to talk about here. Uh, I'll throw it over to you to talk about Pittsburgh and the Rams here first. Yeah, uh, yeah. you look at the Steelers kind of coming off this and uh, we thought that it would be like the first game Kenny Pickett would basically have everyone back you know, from yeah. like, the start of the season. But it looks like Pat Frymuth's not going to play uh, in this game. But he does get Deontay Johnson back who is... He's, he's pretty uh, favorably priced on both sites for a guy for his target volume. Uh, you know, 5K on DraftKings, 6K on FanDuel. You know, what kind of touchdown equity do we get for a guy that hasn't scored a touchdown, you know, and basically almost uh, uh, a couple trips uh, of, of the year, uh, the sun going around the earth. Uh, but, uh, you know, look at Cooper Cup, though, man. Like, that's where we start, right? Like, this is yes. where it all starts. And also, well... Let's say let's start with this from the Rams side because this is what got me last week. This is the thing I an element over I overlooked who had heavy Rams exposure last week, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit when we get to the Seahawks game. So one thing I didn't account for because we haven't seen the Rams play like in a lot of positive game script and neutral game script that this year they they've mm-hmm. largely been playing from behind, and really in my range of outcomes of that game I never really accounted for like what if the Rams are just ahead and just run the ball down the Cardinals' throat. Like that yeah. had not really entered my process last week. Uh, and that's definitely something that exists for the Seahawks range of outcomes that, but like I was, uh, you know, exposed to them, but this week in particular with Kyron Williams going down with Ronnie rivers mm-hmm. going down, I don't believe, and then, you know, facing a, a Steelers team that's better. I don't believe that that's actually kind of really in the outcomes here. They're just going to line up and run the football for stretches of this game. So I think it's gonna be a high drop back game. I think that also has reciprocal, impacts on not only the Rams backfield because I don't think that Zach Evans is going to be remotely close to good chalk if he gets there. And I don't even think he's going to be as chalky as, you know, initial projections say because everyone's there because the guy doesn't pass protect. He didn't pass protect you. He didn't pass protect at Ole Miss. And the first thing Sean McVay kind of said when he talked about Daryl Henderson was about his pass protection. Kyron Williams was fourth among all running backs and pass blocking snaps this season. I mean, so is Zach Evans going to be on the field in those situations, right? Is Zach Evans coming in and picking and chipping on TJ Watt? No, nah, it's not happening. Man. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It ain't going to happen. So as a, as a top-down impact, it impacts, you know, potentially a player that people want to punt with or, you know, be cheap because he unlocks a lot more because we don't have a lot of those guys on the slate. But also, I just think the Rams are going to have a pass-heavy game script regardless of the actual, you know, get where the state of the game is. So mm-hmm. we've got this opportunity here where, you know, Cooper Cup has already had, you know, 12 targets, nine targets. Like this could be a 15 to 18 target game for oh, yeah. Cooper Cup, I think, rather easily. Uh, keeps pooking a coup on the board, although we always talk about like his man coverage versus zone coverage splits. I mean, the Steelers are a little bit more of an aggressive man defense this year. Mm-hmm. They're seventh in the league in, in rate of man coverage. So, I mean, it all signals just point to like, if we're talking about like team jamming in like the old days, like this feels like one of those like Cooper Cup, like on the context of this slate looks like the old like Antonio Brown days that we were joking about with or before the show. Yes, the team jam them in days, right? Um, <laughs> I, I opened the show with the kind of state of the league and how we should expect to not see very many 
chances at 30 plus fantasy point games this week in particular this is definitely one of those guys that brings a rather high hit rate or frequency of hitting 30 fantasy points in this spot if we could play out the slate 100 times um i don't know what the exact range but he'd probably be one of the highest frequency players to hit 30 fantasy points uh if we did play this exact slate out 100 times so that is something to think about and it becomes harder to play him because of the fact that we don't have the the quote-unquote value, we'll call it, where it is a very clear option priced at 4K and below that you can feel good about plugging into your lineup to fit some of these higher-priced guys. We should also expect the roster builds on this slate to be a little bit more flat. I would expect to see a little bit more kind of these these builds that have a lot of guys in the mid-range of player pricing because there's a lot of options that have significant upside in that pricing range. And the fact that we don't have numerous payup options at running back, that's probably one of the functions of Josh Jacobs, who's probably going to be fairly popular here. Um, just the state of the slate, there aren't that many payup options to begin with, and we don't have the clear value players down price below 4K to where it becomes comfortable to play these high-priced guys. So all that to say, Cooper Cup, probably the top on-paper play on this slate, who's probably going to see suppressed ownership because of all the functions that are at play in the slate. So that's a guy that I'm very seriously toying around with, just like lock statusing, um, just because of his hit rate of hitting 30-plus fantasy points in this spot is going to be greater than any other player on the slate. Um, would yeah, you I think ever think about like, lock buttoning a guy that's yep. highest price on the slate? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like you said, in the context of this particular slate too, uh, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, like I said, because it's it'd be one thing too if it was like this top-down matchup like last week where there was like a signal where like Puka could get there too. And not to say that Puka can't yeah. get there, but like Puka splits against man coverage are so bad. Uh, yeah. compared to his own stuff. I mean, he's averaging 1.2 yards per route run against man coverage, 3.05 yards per route run against zone coverage. That's trip. That's a third of, of the production. Uh, and the target rate is cut in half. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's like a, it's like a clear gap here where, where Cup is absolutely smoking both, both states of coverage he has for multiple seasons. We have a larger sample. And you talked about the, we talked about a little bit the, the popular game, probably from Chiefs Chargers. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And there could be a running back on the slate that doesn't even approach 30 points in this game, mm -hmm. like on this, on this slate easily. So I, know. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of there. Like I can't get away anytime I've messed the lineup build. It just comes always back. That's like, I just would rather play Cooper cup than two of these other guys. Like it comes down to like a two V, you know, in your two V two, it's like, I yeah. just rather have cup as part of the two. So this is a good point to bring up and we'll bring it up now. One of the other very clear spots for 30-plus fantasy point upside this week is Mr. Devontae Adams, who is this player who is very outspoken. Uh, we can read into his comments to the media any way we want to. He effectively was saying, hey, I want us to win games, but for us to win games, I need to be involved more, uh, which is kind of the gist of what he was trying to say, if I'm reading that situation correctly. Um go look at the entire interview because the snippets that are available on Twitter, you're only getting kind of half the story, uh, but that's kind of the gist of what I got in that situation with Aiden O'Connell, who in his one start this season fed Devonte Adams, 13 targets fed Josh Jacobs, 11 targets. They made up 
60% of the offensive production in that week. This is a spot where we're, you we just talked about Cooper cup being able, you know, has a path to 15 plus targets. This is another one of those spots. So it's worth mentioning. And in that same vein, while Cooper cup, the state of the slate is going to suppress Cooper cups, individual ownership. It's also going to make both of these guys in a lineup almost unheard of. So consider that uh, this week as well. Um, you should consider that for the Michael Mayer stuff, right? Because it's like, listen, play any twenty seven hundred dollar tight end you want on DraftKings. Like, I'm, do do what you do what you must there. Uh, but the one thing about like getting excited about Michael Mayer's like spike in usage is, you know, sometimes we lose context. It's like, hey, yeah, he had six targets uh, last Sunday, but Devontae Adams only had five. And how many Devontae Adams five target games are we going to have? I know we've had two in a row and people say, oh, yeah, <laughs> but like, uh, but, you know, like how many times, especially with him being vocal, you know, through the media is like, are we going to see that type of output? So like there's only a finite amount of targets that can go around in an offense, especially one uh, that probably going to have Aiden O'Connell under center this, sun this Sunday. Yeah. So if Jacobs gets a bump, if Adams gets a bump, we already know Myers is there. Like, does Michael Mayer like hold that target share? Right. Like, so uh, obviously he's tracking to be really popular, but I'm yeah. saying using the context that like what happened with Devonta Adams is not going to be a regular weekly outcome. Yeah. I would say it's more likely that Mayer sees three to five targets than it is that he sees seven to nine. Um, much more likely. This is an interesting question. So we'll go to this real quick. How do you guys think about historical data like Keenan versus Chiefs, Diggs versus Patriots? I feel like divisional games can be easier to dissect from starting builds. I would be careful with how we phrase this and how we think right. about this because it is much more Keenan Allen versus Steve Spagnuolo and is much more Stefan Diggs versus like Bill Belichick. Yes. Um, and how do those defensive schemes match up with those archetype of player? And typically, with Steve Spagnuolo, we've seen him continue to play these heavier zone rates against the Chargers because he wants to keep them from attacking deep. We know they have speed. Yes, that was previously with Mike Williams, but they have Joshua Palmer, all the yada yadas behind the matchup, micro matchup stuff. In that, it's going to be very difficult for a guy like Keenan Allen to see, oh, he's going to see volume. So the floor is completely there. But in that kind of prevent mentality, and especially with a guy like Keenan Allen, who doesn't necessarily have the same downfield chops as those other guys mentioned, you're going to need volume and you're going to need him to find the end zone multiple times. So that becomes a very fine needle to thread against Steve Spagnuolo's defense. And that's not saying that Keenan Allen cannot put up 30 plus fantasy points here. He cannot go 10 catches for 110 yards and two touchdowns because that is very clearly within his range of outcomes. It's just a harder ask against Steve Spagnuolo based on how he runs his defense. Similar thing for Stefan Diggs, where he is, Bill Belichick is notorious for trying to fully eliminate an opposing offense's most likely path of attack. Um, and in, he is able to alter his defense to kind of schematically suppress that primary plan of attack. And Stefan Diggs is very clearly that primary plan of attack in Buffalo. So the old adage of like, look towards the secondary options against a Bill Belichick defense, very much in play. Um, some interesting concepts with Gabe Davis running deep, who had a string of four touchdowns, uh, uh, four games with a touchdown. Um, and broke that last week. Um, over to you, Rich. What are you seeing from that? Like those, like individual matchups uh, with those guys in that question. 
So anytime we have like the you know the 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 BVP stuff like the baseball you know terminology to bring in yeah. the, you know because you always heard the the T Y Hilton you know versus the the Colts uh, or T Y Hilton versus the Texans uh, stuff. I mean, yeah. I only really look at that stuff if if uh, like the coaching staffs are stagnant, right? Like if you've got like a, a clear like overlap in defensive scheme that's been static or like personnel things that are, you're looking for things that are static in the matchup. Like no one wants to cite what uh you know player did four years ago against the team when everything's different the quarterback's different yeah. uh, the the defensive coordinator's different the personnel is different etc cetera, etc cetera. uh the dig stuff is interesting because belichick has been historically aggressive with josh allen uh they you know especially you know going back to the last few matchups they're playing single high on over 50 percent of josh allen's dropbacks they're playing man coverage on nearly 40 percent of his dropbacks they have been aggressive and it's benefited stefan Diggs. Uh, he has absolutely crushed the Patriots because of that, because he eats man coverage alive, right? I mean, yeah. uh, when these teams have played since Diggs joined the Bills, I mean, he's been targeted on 34% of his routes against man coverage, 3.6 yards per route run against man coverage in the Patriots. And the Patriots are still playing aggressive, even though they've lost everybody. Like, yeah. all their cornerbacks have, have gone. They, they, add, they bring J.C. Jackson back, but, like, they've literally lost all their cornerbacks, like, through the course of the season. Uh, and they're still being aggressive. And really, we're seeing the same stuff with the Bills. And I'm going to keep complaining about it. And I saw it again Sunday night. Like, the Bills, like, this condensed, condensing the field, Buffalo Bills offense, like, I, they have a weird team approach and we talked about it in week one because they're I think them playing as much 12 personnel is bad and even in a game where Dalton yeah. Kincaid didn't play they still ran 12 personnel and had a condensed field yeah. uh you know with Quentin Morris on the field like this is a team that needs to play into Josh Allen's strengths they've been trying to get like all these pass catching running backs for years and they've been trying to get, they add Dalton Kincaid like this is a team that needs this to play f- fast and vertical and spread the field and like live with Josh Allen's mistakes because where he it wins extending the field, extending plays and pushing the ball down the field is where he's at his best. And mm-hmm. you can see just the restriction, like there's a restrictor played on this offense with the way they've been playing this year. Um, yeah. Outside of that dolphins game. Right. Like it's just been yeah. like, it's because even the, the the you go back to the commanders game, they scored points, but like they had a bunch of defensive turnovers, short fields. They even had a defensive touchdown in that game. But I, I'm not seeing, like, the full-on, like, excitement from this Bills offense like we should be. And it's because, like, I just hate the way they've structurally approached building this offense outside of Stephon Diggs. Yeah, and you talked about the elevated 12 personnel rates, and those are designed. What you're trying to do is generate mismatches by taking mm-hmm. an au- or a defense and having them run their base personnel package against this now offensive scheme that is uh, built to mismatch against that base personnel. But teams are, they're not what they're, Dalton Kincaid is not forcing opposing defenses into their base package. They're just playing nickel and they're line, they're able to match up much better against an athletic tight end from uh, nickel and sub packages. So that's an interesting discussion. Like what they're trying to do is force teams into base and exploit that via a a tight, an athletic tight end against linebackers. But they're not doing that (laughs) and they're not seeing base packages, they're seeing nickel. And they're just not able to generate the mismatches over the middle of the field that they're looking for. So I don't know. That could change as of right now. Like you said, that offense is more or less broken, really. Um, and, and we're waiting to see the Bills to finally play some offenses because, I mean, they keep – they're another team. Like, their injuries – and it's funny that they play the Buccaneers next week. So we probably yeah. still love But, I mean, the, the key pieces they've lost on each level of the defense are really major pieces. You know, talk about losing Daquan Jones – 
uh, losing Matt Milano and losing Tredavious White. Like each sector of the defense has lost like a significant piece. Uh, and then they've got this string where they go Giants, Patriots, Bucks, and like we haven't really got the scene it really kind of be exploited yet. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I had a player up on the screen before we uh, started that question, um, and it was Tutu Atwell. We talked about the increased rates of man coverage from the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know that Tutu has seen an increased target rate against man that was most of which came without Cooper Cup, uh, but that's primarily because he is the motion man. He is the mismatch guy. He is the guy that they um, have designed these um, man beater type looks a la Debo Samuel. Um, is he a guy that is interesting at all to you on this slate? I mean, the targets just uh, have, haven't really been there. He had a chance two weeks ago against the Eagles to make a big play. Uh, yeah. he, had the, he had the short touchdown, but he also had a big play that could have been a touchdown too down the field. Last week, you know, just like, again, they turtled in the second half. So we don't really know. We just don't really have a large sample of can a third guy get there, right? Because we haven't seen it. Because the before Cup came back, it was just Tutu and Puka. And uh, since it's been back, it's been Cup and Puka getting the targets. So we haven't really yeah. seen that third wheel kind of get off and, you know, remove Kyron from the equation. He actually wasn't a guy getting targets, but he was like the third piece in the offense. Uh, where does it come from? Uh, interesting, I think, like large field piece. Um, I don't know if I'll get there for it, but the, he was a guy that had nice man coverage stuff before Cup came back. Yep, 100% with you there. Uh, I haven't really gotten to 2-2 in any of my builds. Uh, it's been primarily Cup and Puka. Uh, play them together, too. Uh, they could hit. Once Once Matthew Stafford throws for three touchdowns, which is going to happen at some point this year, damn it. Uh, I keep saying that, and he keeps going out there throwing one score. Uh, <laughs> he's going to, he's He's been hovering around 300 yards passing in each and every game. At some point, he's going to three, throw three touchdowns. What better week? than when his lead back is out. So that all three of those touchdowns could come from guys like Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. You can play them together because the field is not going to because of where they're priced at. Yeah, uh, so I tried it last week. Uh, double follow what, I yeah. follow what I tried to, to win money with last yeah. week. <laughs> Did it because Flop they threw 11 real. times in the second half, which was really cool. Yeah. This is an interesting question I want to cover on some vomit stacks uh, later in the show. We're going to get through these final uh, two afternoon games real quick. And then I, I do want to spend some time. We'll come back to this one. Um, so yeah, real quick. We we'll, vomit stack win the Millie last week. And yes, there's a couple in play this week. There are. And we'll we'll touch on those uh, here shortly. Real quick on Arizona, Seattle. Give me your elevator pitch for this game. I mean, really, this is a tough spot because obviously it's, you know, chasing what I talked about last week, right? Like uh, objectively, especially when you talk about with the teams on by, like Geno Smith, where he's priced looks really good. The question is, do you get a counter punch? Because unlike Los Angeles, where we didn't have like a significant sample of what they were doing with positive and neutral game script. I mean, when Seattle mm -hmm. has had the lead at any point outside of the fourth quarter, they're 27th in the NFL in drop back rate. Like this is a team that will run the football. Um, which yeah. is why I think you're seeing Kenneth Walker kind of, you know, a lot of things gravitating towards him. The other worry I think you have here is not just the Cardinals being on the counterpunch, but what if the Seattle defense is ready to make a turn, you know, now having Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon on the field together? We have not seen it, but on only 96 dropbacks now with both of those guys on the field, opposing quarterbacks only average 6.2 yards or pass attempt with an 87.9 rating. Uh, whereas a, with one of them off the field, it was seven and a half yards or pass attempt and a 99.4 rating. So like, 
what if the this defense in the secondary is a little bit just better than it was to start the year because they had some moving pieces? Obviously, Josh Dobbs is kind of reverting back to Josh Dobbs. It's a great story. Yeah. Uh, you know, still rooting for Josh Dobbs uh, with a backfield situation. I just worry about the, the, the punch back here. But if you're just looking for the pieces in this game, they're all here on the Seattle side, right? Like we saw JSN get a bump. We tried to t- talk about that last week. We talked about JSN and mixing in and man, they, they dialed up a touchdown for him that Gino didn't pull the trigger on. He was wide open uh, and Gino pulled it down, but Lockett's got a hamstring injury this week. You know, keep an eye on that. So it's like, you can get the JSN. The only thing you need is neutral game script here because it could just be the Kenneth Walker show like at some point in this game. Yeah, 100%. There, the, there's an interesting aspects, I think. Um, Kenneth Walker has a very, very low hit rate of scoring 25-plus fantasy points. Um, typically, and, and JM has talked a lot about this in the past, typically you see a player priced at a level where they're going to return 3x salary multiplier about 40% of the time, and they're going to return a 4x salary multiplier about a quarter of the time, so 25%. Kenneth Walker is a guy that his weekly ownership, because these pricing algorithms, they they take into account ownership as well. His weekly ownership keeps his price at a, at a point where his hit rates are lower than those pricing algorithm, whatever, algorithm-based um, salaries. So that's very, very interesting. And he is highly touchdown dependent. We know the Seahawks do not utilize their running backs in the past game. But he has a solid explosive rush rate, so we know that he has that upside in him in this spot. The other counterpoint to that is the Arizona defense is kind of built to have a lot of players in the box. So that becomes now uh, the counterpoint of he has the upside. He also has the downside in this spot because he doesn't have the pass game role. So very interesting dynamics of this game. But what is most interesting to me from this spot is DK Metcalf's changing usage in this offense this year? Now, is that based on the addition of JSN, uh, who saw a career-high snap rate last week? Is that due to the increased rates of 12 personnel, where they're trying to open up the middle of the field? I don't know. But his dot is currently sitting at a healthy 13.5, and that's 16th deepest in the league. And when you talk about these deep dots, typically you don't see primary pieces of the offense working these that deep of an dot because typically those are safety manipulators a la Marquez Valdez-Scantling or those are your kind of gadgety type players like Marvin Mims like Jalen Hyatt these guys who are thrown in packages to specifically run deep and see if they can't hit a deep bomb so the fact that his dot is so deep this year is interesting to me against a team that runs kind of this shallow too high defensive shell Are you at all interested in like, or or have you dug into, uh, or any thoughts, I guess, on DK Metcalf's kind of changing role in this offense? Yeah, you know, last year he had the uh, it, it, it it all reduced for him. They they got him. That's why he had a season high in targets and targets per game last year because they did. He wasn't strictly required to be a lid lifter. He got a lot more intermediate to shallow routes. He ran a lot yeah. more of of the hooks and stuff like that. Uh, and this year he's kind of running more of like the dig stuff, right? Like goes and digs. We saw the interception on the dig route last week. Um, we haven't really seen the kind of full field usage. He did have the 10 targets. He's also been playing hurt too, um, yeah. which is one of these things. And he left the game with a hip injury on top of the rib thing that he's been dealing with. 
but he still yeah. is like the lead leader on the the team leader, uh, you know, in, in yards per out run. We've seen Arizona against, if you consider him the wide receiver one, which you could, you know, some consider him the 1A, it's kind of a split. I mean, Arizona's yeah. getting absolutely popped by lead wide receivers here. Obviously, we saw Cooper Cup last week. Everyone played Jamar Chase two weeks ago. Uh, and I did Brady- it. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. I had to throw Brandon, a self jab in there. Brandon Ayuk, uh, three weeks before that, went for 148. Uh, yeah. Also, man, another guy last week. Brandon, there's a place in the multiverse where Brandon Ayuk had like 150 and a touchdown last week. I know. I know. A lot of meat left on the bone. But you hit, we hit that over, though. We were on the yard. Yes. Yes, so, we did. Hey, we'll take the player prop to offset the DFS loss. Um, <laughs> But I think this game is literally just about the the pass volume for Seattle is really what it comes down to. Yeah, that's how you, can... you're, you're feeling, right? Like if you're looking at Metcalf at six eight and seven seven on Fanduel, and you think you're going to be able to get twenty five plus points, I mean, you're going to need uh, to be able to push double digit targets. Yep, I buy that as well. Let's uh, quickly talk about this other game: uh, a slow offense against a slow offense with an atrocious defense. Uh, that's it. If you're boiling down what this game is, uh, that's pretty much what it is. But in the same vein, we should have a healthy Aaron Jones and Christian Watson on the field together for the first time this season. So, how does this Packers offense look? Is it going to be different? Are we going to see Aaron Jones kind of just eat up all the short intermediate work along with? Uh, Romeo Dobbs and then Christian Watson is utilized at a higher rate downfield. He saw three downfield targets of 20 plus yards last week, only came down with one of them, but that kind of usage in this matchup is highly intriguing. Uh, What do you got from this game environment? Yeah, this is kind of your one that you're looking at. Like we did with Ritter last week. Uh, You're looking at kind of the consistency of where the Broncos are getting beat down the field. They're also just getting beat in the run game too. Although they were better last Thursday. You know, they were better. It's something to keep an eye on. Because we did this with the Lions last year. If you remember, the Lions were a team that were just like historically abysmal defensively, like the opening third of the season. And then like they kind of course corrected as it went on. But they had like all these gaudy – like week one through six numbers that were manipulating all their season long stuff that like people kept chasing it. And like, they got ended up like being really good against the run, like the back third of the year. And like, people kept saying like, look at the production they give to running backs. And it's like, well, listen, like last eight weeks, they haven't given up anything to running backs. So just something to keep an eye on. I don't know if we'll get there with Denver. Obviously it looks like there's some house cleaning going on here. Uh, and it could just be kind of a lost season. Congratulations on giving away a second round pick for your head coach. Uh, we'll see how that works out in the big picture as well. Sincerely, sincerely, <laughs> sincerely. <congrats. laughs> uh, I mean, but the thing about you like about love in this spot is like, so love's like big bugaboo at this stage of his career is if you do anything to manipulate the pocket, he falls apart. He's just an yes. abject disaster. His his foot his footwork is, is atrocious. If you get any type of pressure on him. He, he just dies. He's 13 of 38 under pressure passing this year, uh, 3.8 yards for pass attempt. Denver, we've talked about it, you know, week in, week out. They're 30th in the NFL in pressure rate. Uh, when they do not get pressure against the opposing passer, it's, it's a major issue. When Denver doesn't up pressure the opposing quarterback, they're allowing 9.3 yards for pass attempt uh, when they fail. Jay they allowed 13 passing touchdowns, the most in the league when they don't generate pressure, 82.4% completion rate. So that's Ooh. what kind of gives you the pathway to say like, all right, we've got love and he's not like blowing the league away when he's not pressured, but he is at least right at the base rates of where it is. It's not a Zach Wilson yeah. situation, right? Like we're a couple weeks ago where people are like, I want to play Zach Wilson because it's the Broncos. And it's like, well, the matchup still needs to be a cherry. Like you, you still need to have a carrot of why you'd want to play the player first. And at least Jordan love has fantasy points while he's been terrible. 
Like he's he's still generating <laughs> fantasy points. So now we get he gets kind of like a matchup boost on top of that. So it does give him a little bit of propulsion. You if you don't want to play love, you get all kinds of options here. Uh, you know, we talked about you know Christian Watson and his upside on wide receiver targets 10 yards or further downfield. The Broncos have a lot of catch rate of 75.6%. The league average is 50.7% on those targets. Uh absolutely That's just bad. insane. <laughs> insane splits there. If you want to play Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is, is an interesting piece too, because we talk about running backs on the slate that potentially have like 25 plus point PPR potential. And last week there was only three running backs, I believe, that even had 20. No, there's one. It was just mm-hmm. most there. Yeah. Travis Etienne was second at 23.3. Kyron got the bonus, so he got the 24.8. So, like, it could be another week like that. So, like, Aaron Jones fits, like, builds, too. There's a lot of ways to approach this game. You can onslaught this game. No one wants to hear Jerry Judy's name brought up uh, outside of, you know, Steve Smith dunking on him. But the Packers yeah. have been roasted by slot receivers. Mm-hmm. like absolutely crushed by slot receivers. And they've been good on the outside to opposing wide receiver ones. So, I mean, you've got an inherent mini you can run back with Jerry Judy. I know no one wants to get that gross and play Jerry Judy, but objectively, there's a lot of things that say play Jerry Judy this week. Yeah, it could be the the final showcase before he's out the door as well. <laughs> so, um, and Jerry Judy's slot snap rate is back above. Uh, you know, last year he was down in the thirty percent range, but it's back above the sixty seven percent range. So yep. he's running from the slot, which is nice. Um, yeah, I mean, you could do a lot worse than this being a starting point in a roster with Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, and Christian Watson. I think um, all three bring significant upside in this spot. Uh, and we'll kind of leave it at that. You saw me throw Marvin Mims on the board. I'm just going to keep playing him until he hits at this point. It's like he's got at some point it's going to happen. And I hope it happens before Jerry Judy is moved or before he sees like before the field knows that his increased snap rate is coming because I'm just going to keep playing him. Um, we didn't even mention the highest owned player. The highest owned player will be Musgrave in this game, too. Yes. Yes. Which I mean, yeah, look at talk about a possession type tight end. Uh, which is they haven't seen a downfield kind of tight end since Robert Tanyan's breakout season where he scored an ungodly amount of touchdowns. It was like 12 touchdowns. I don't know, something crazy. Uh, but they haven't had this like downfield tight end. And Luke Musgrave, being a rookie, he is that kind of short area guy. Um, so, yeah, even at his eight, nine, seven target games, um, you see his average reception here. Uh, not that great. So if he's going to be the most popular player, I'll just find other ways to play this game. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. All right, so we teased earlier about these uh, gross stacks, potentially. I'm going to start it, and we're just going to go back and forth, I think, for the next five minutes uh, here, Rich. And let's see if we can find some potential hidden upside in some of these gross quarterback or team stacks. And Pittsburgh was already mentioned, so we're going to bypass that. But Mr. Bajent... This is an interesting Bajant spot. Chaos. The Bajant of Chaos here. And one of the funniest things I've seen all week was the interview with Ted Pelissero uh, of his father on the sideline. Uh, I think it was last year uh, when he was in college. I don't even know where it came from. But his father, Te- Tyson ba- Bajant's father, is like a 28-time world champion arm wrestler. Right. And he he had this interaction with Tom Pelissero on the sideline. Uh, where they arm wrestle, and this dude is a trip. I was cra- I was laughing my ass off. Uh, but if his dad is that much of a dog, like we talk about a dog, then there's got to be some of that dog 
in Tyson Bajant. Talk coming out of a D2 school, but he also won a backup role, quarterback role on an NFL team. So they don't just hand those out like candy. It's not like they were going to the lowest bidder here uh, and say, yep, Bajant, you're, you're in, man. He won a backup quarterback job for an NFL team as a rookie out of a D2 school. So there's something there. We don't know what it is. We, we He's a, entirely unknown, but there's something there. But because this offense is so highly concentrated amongst these two players through the air, there is a case to be made that we might not need him to set the world on fire on this slate. If he puts up 20 fantasy, 20, 25 fantasy points, it could be enough to get the job done. If the bulk of that production is flowing through these two guys, which we know over the previous two, three weeks now, it has. So can Tyson Bajant, DJ Moore, and Cole Komet to be between a 4x salary multiplier and 5x salary multiplier? They need 22 to 26 points per player. Can that happen in this spot against a Las Vegas defense that is extremely overrated at this point of the season? You look at who Las Vegas has played. Let's just look here real quick. They've played, they got shredded by Buffalo. They played Denver. They played Pittsburgh. They got, uh, okay, it was close against the Chargers. They played Green Bay and they played New England. Not exactly world beater offenses. So I view their defense that is struggling to get pressure as extremely overrated right now. I don't know. This could be a spot where Mr. Tyson Bajant comes in and, and, puts up 20, 25 fantasy points and, and is useful on this slate. What are your thoughts on that? And then go to yours. Yeah, you know, one of the big, I think, dilemmas I've had earlier in the week of what how I want to play this slate is do I want to just pay up for quarterback or is it wide is it wide open this week? You know, can we do something like Beijing? Can we do an, an Aiden O'Connell plus Devontae yeah. Adams because it lets us get Adams and Cup together? Uh, you know, do I want to do something like that, right? Because who on this slate is – we've got Josh Allen who can always get there. And Mahomes really hasn't been like that dude this year. Like he's been a really solid performer, but at his price, like he's got one 25-point game. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Lamar Jackson is on the board here too. Uh, I We didn't even talk about that game. That game is probably an, an interesting game-stacking game too as well, especially with Jameer Gibbs, you know, kind of what he has going on with the Dan Campbell comments today too. But Lamar Jackson's only got two 25-point games. Like M – is this a slate where I want to play for like the safety and say like, all right, well, I'm going to get a floor out of this quarterback that maybe comes with ceiling. Or do I want to say like, all right, maybe this is a week where just nobody is going to approach 30 points and I just try to catch value. And even if I only get 17 out of my 5k quarterback, that's plenty because what it gives me uh, opportunities to, to pay up for maybe an extra running back where that extra $2,000 of salary was going to make a difference. Right. So that's kind of what I've been toying with. Um, like I said, AOC Adams, if, if we do get AOC, he fits uh, that mold just because you can kind of open some things up. You can play DJ Moore. You've got Bajant. Uh, you've got Sam Howell, Terry McLaurin, pick a – I mean, honestly, if, and from a context of this slate too, like I think Saquon Barkley is an interesting play because this is a guy that had 28 touches last week. Uh, yeah. They're like, no one's going to pay for him at all. Like he's, he's not going to have any ownership up there for like the running backs that we know could have 20 touches this week. He's going to be set like 5%. Uh, 
uh, single digit. So he's interesting. You can run a lot of stacks in that. You know, we've been attacking the commanders. If it's Tyrod, does anyone have the heart to play Daniel Jones? Uh, there's a yeah. lot of opportunity here, I think. So I've just been debating on how I want to play the slate, but I'm leaning towards one of these 5K quarterbacks on DraftKings, one of these sub-7K quarterbacks on FanDuel, potentially being the route I want to go to because it allows you to do something extra at another spot to maybe add a little bit more of that ceiling for your roster at the expense of maybe some floor for quarterback. But if we don't get the quarterbacks with the actual ceiling this week, it's going to make your roster inherently better. Yeah, that I was pulling up one of the ones that you were discussing. I mean, you can do some interesting games with or some interesting things with some of these game environments with some of these low priced quarterbacks. Um, so with that, we're coming up here on the end of the show. Again, thank you for tuning in. Go check out oneweekseason.com, all the uh inner circle we have to offer, the props package we have to offer. Go check out Sharp Football Analysis for all the in-depth analytical work that they do, which is bar none, some of the best in the industry. Um, but with that, before we go here, Rich, give me one player or game or team or game environment that you're looking to uh, attack that might be off the board here. I mean, I don't know if it's off the board, but uh, you know, Lions Ravens is definitely just a game because I think when you look at you, you just ran down the gauntlet of who the Raiders have played. When you look yeah. at both of the opposing quarterback schedules for the Lions and Ravens, like there's definitely a path here where their defensive metrics are been manipulated a lot by the opposing offenses that they face. Yeah. Uh, the Lions, the last time they faced like a really functional quarterback was Geno Smith back in week two, and they gave up 37 points. The Ravens have yet to play like the best quarterback they've played is whatever you want to consider Joe Burrow at this stage right now. Yeah. Uh, so there could be an opportunity here. I, I have faith in Ben Johnson. I think there's a lot of pieces in that game. Like, um, like I'm on Ross St. Brown. Does he go overlooked again? Like just because we want to jam in Cooper cup because, you know, Keenan Allen, the game environment, people want to play him. Uh, you can run back with say flowers. Mark Andrews, I think is tremendously priced on both sites. You can play Lamar Jackson. Uh, you can play Jameer Gibbs. There's a lot of ways I think to attack that game. Plus it's early. If it fails, you calibrate <laughs> for four o'clock. Yeah. That, I love the Mark Andrews shout. I was uh, penciling him early in the week. His price per upside uh, portfolio there looks He really stands nice. out this yeah. week. Yeah. So I'll give you one last kind of gross one. The dynamics have kind of changed with this uh, Cleveland team here. But I think both Jerome Ford and Amari Cooper with potentially Deshaun Watson coming back. Um, and we know that Joel Batonio... He started um, limited practice on Wednesday and then was downgraded to DNP on Thursday. So that's something to watch as well. Uh, Kareem Hunt was DNP Wednesday, now limited Thursday. So there's a lot of moving pieces with this offense. But against a Colts team that runs a heavy, heavy, like some of the heaviest rates of cover three and zone coverage, we know kind of who Gus Bradley is at this point. This team brings some interesting upside. And we talk about a guy in Jerome Ford, what we need from a running back on this slate might not need 30 points, but to get him to 25 points, he's going to need a hundred yards rushing with a score. And then maybe some um, pass game volume worked into that, but that is very much within his range of outcomes in this spot because his defense has been so dominant. So um, both of these players are interesting to me, Amari Cooper against zone coverage. Uh, you just play him um, and Jerome Ford uh, potentially a cheap running back. 
But with that, Rich, thank you again. This is an absolute pleasure to do with you every single week. Again, check out OneWeekSeason.com. Check out Sharp Football Analysis. And we will see you next week, y'all. Good luck in them lobbies this week. One Week Season.